Hello, everyone. Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain and digital currency innovators building our distributed future. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts premier conferences, events, and media featuring blockchain leaders actively growing the industry. With our platform, we are connecting business and technology executives with blockchain innovators leading the charge. Through our interactive speaker presentations, facilitated networking sessions, and our video and podcast series. Before we get started, wanted to tell you about our consulting arm, TF Agency, where we work with blockchain companies, companies looking to adopt the technology, entrepreneurs and investors looking to understand the space, and with those looking to grow their career in this emerging industry. For more information, please email us at info at tfagency.io. In this episode, we listen in on a live recording from our recent TF Blockchain Conference, TF3, held on March 28, 2019 in Seattle. This panel featured Joshua Shane of Consensus, Joe Rotes of Dragon Chain, Chris C. Lee Minahan of Core Scientific, Jennifer McEwen of Tenta, and Maria Carey Ivanova of Madrona Venture Group leading the conversation. Our speakers discuss how blockchain can help solve the burden that is digital security and identity. And they cover such topics as what it takes to create a startup in the digital identity space, blockchain and voting, corruption on blockchain, and as our lives, our interactions are continuing to move in the digital world, digital security and identity is something we all need to pay attention to in the near future. And I hope this panel can help you understand why. So I want to start by, you, you guys all have impressive backgrounds, so I re, I, I'd like to spend more than like a couple of seconds uh, with each of you introducing each other, especially in the context of the topic today. So why don't we start with you, Jennifer? Okay, okay. Um, my name is Jen McEwen. I am the co-founder and COO of Tenta. Tenta is a private and encrypted browser that protects your digital identity instead of selling it. Um, we like to call ourselves the browser that doesn't sell you out. Um, and. We take a lot of the privacy tools that people use today to access today's internet um, securely. So those are things like built-in VPN, DNS over TLS, full data encryption, um, download, uh, ad blocker, video download, a whole bunch of stuff. And at the same time, we integrate a lot of native uh, blockchain protocols and uh, dApps that are privacy focused so you can access the new internet um, in a convenient way. So that's Tenta. I'm Joshua Shane, and I'm with Uport, which is a consensus company, and we are focused on self-sovereign identity, um, but we'll talk about uh, what that means because the DAP world is not uh, coalescing quickly enough to make self-sovereign identity a reality in the short term. So part of what we'll talk about here, I'm sure, is what the market looks like, how we're approaching it, and how we can grow the infrastructure necessary to make something like self-sovereign identity or, or adjacent to it available in the next few years. Uh, hi, I'm Christy Lee Minahan, Chief Technology Officer of Core Scientific, a company exclusively focused on artificial intelligence and blockchain. Um, I've been in involved in blockchain professionally since 2010. Um, I've sort of traveled all over the world. I've written most of the optimized cryptocurrency miners that a lot of you use today, including most of my original commits being in CG Miner, so that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I've spent most of my time just optimizing code. And right now I'm pretty well known and pretty famous for um, ProgPal, which is the uh, proof of work algorithm that Ethereum is trying to switch to. So, yeah. I'm uh, Joe Rhodes. I'm a longtime software architect and uh, founder CEO of Dragon Chain. And uh, we have uh, 
pretty pretty big focus part of uh, our company on uh, identity and privacy products. Great, thank you. Well, let's start with how and can blockchain solve digital identity? And maybe we'll start with Jennifer on this okay. one. Well, I mean, I think like SSI, right? Um, there are uh, there are a lot of uh, situations in which we don't uh, need to divulge a lot of our private information. I mean, real world applications. When I get my beer, there's no reason that the bartender or a bouncer needs to know where I live, my my ID, my picture, uh, my birthday. All he needs to know is, is she over 21? And maybe does she get drunk? Or does she get sloppy when she drinks? And that's about it. Um, and then in uh, online situations, there are a lot of age verification issues. Uh, most recently, the UK passed a uh, age verification for visiting adult sites. And again, if you visit those sites, the last thing you want to do is divulge too much information. And I think this is, not I think, I know SSI can solve a lot of the problems around that. Uh, yeah, so you know, blockchain can solve some of these problems, um, mostly acting as a global public registry where we can anchor uh, kind of existing human relationships of trust between institutions and people. Um, but uh, I think that the, the initial view of trying to do SSI with transactions on chain for everything is uh, slowly changing and coalescing into doing most things off chain right now. Um, and so we, uh, we at Uport are in a position where we use the blockchain to anchor things like uh, basically PKI management. Um, and so we use it to revoke things, we use it to rotate keys um, and, uh, and similar kinds of uh, anchor activities. But other than that, everything is moving off chain for several reasons. One is we don't want people to have to transact with crypto to be able to manage their identity. That seems a really bad plan. Um, you know, it's hard enough. <laughs> Everyone can go to DAP Radar and see how many people are using DAPs and are using crypto to transact with things. It's not many. The last thing we want to do is try to force that onto the general public. So, um, so the the ability to manage your identity and uh, and the attributes that make up your identity in a way that is as frictionless as possible. Um, is still something that can be enabled by blockchain, but this the kind of initial first-generation view of self-sovereign identity, which was every transaction is happening on an open, public, permissionless blockchain, is uh, is fading away in 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 favor of more user-friendly environments, uh, interoperability across different chains, and the ability to kind of extend these these uh, identity solutions into government-led or enterprise-led. Uh, managed ecosystems or consortia? I mean, I would echo a lot of that. Um, one of the things that I've learned in my travels is that a lot of countries outside of the US are already using blockchain today for identity management, and really they're doing it for the cost-saving benefits. Um, Handling all of this data related to all of your citizens, it's it's very taxing on your storage. It's a security nightmare. And blockchain has allowed a digital way for them to store all of their assets and securely transact that, distribute it to other companies that might want to participate. Um, and it's allowed them to have a scalable, uh, low OPEX solution, which has been really great. A lot of the research um, around uh, zero knowledge proofs as well has really given a lot of the comf a lot of comfort to um, more enterprises now outside of the U.S., which has been really uh, surprising for me. 
blockchain can also solve a lot of the incentivization problem. You know, how do you incentivize, um, how do you incentivize users to share data? This is a very powerful metric. How do you incentivize users to link their identity for reputation management systems? So blockchain is able to solve a lot of these complex problems, all without requiring, requiring us to trust one central authority, which is great. Um, definitely things are, I would echo that things are moving towards private blockchains, which is um, not something I personally agree with, but I can understand that it's uh, critical for a lot of the big corporations today. And Christy Lee, actually, um, if you can um, talk a little bit more about the various use cases, since you already started us on it. You know, Estonia has been using digital identity for many, many years and is considered one of the big success stories. What, who, who has done it successfully, like, so far with what we have? What are the key use cases? You touched on some of them, but, like, are there other ones? Um, it's being used a lot today in uh, a few social media platforms. They're not widely distributed. Most of them are related to cryptocurrency. I think Holly is one of them. It uses Civic's identity platform management. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of Estonia's KSI blockchain. I think that is the right solution. Um, big supporter of you know just having this physical card that's also linked to a digital identity and can be you know a valid form of travel ID, valid form of health insurance. It makes life much easier. Norway has started to do a lot of experiment experiments with uh, digital identities as well. So they've started to digitize passports, which is great. Um, and there's been a lot of private experiments with governments. Um, specifically, Georgia started to digitize a lot of their assets when it comes to real estate, et cetera, um, as well as their uh, passports, which I thought was fantastic. And I believe they were one of the first, were they, aside from Estonia? They launched this project in partnership with Bitfury, and that was really successful to see. It got a lot more users uh, comfortable with how blockchain can be a secure platform that they can inherently rely on without having to trust anyone. Great. Um, and I would say, uh, like if we say, you know, separation of the parts of your identity, right? To you know, granular, as granular as you want pieces, right? So you don't have to give your whole driver's license. It's just my age. Um, I would say not off-chain, but I would say hybrid because uh, you know we have we have a very unique angle on that that's uh, long-running and um, uh, incentives is probably the, the biggest piece though and the the most appropriate reason why you would even look at blockchain with with identity um, that you could have uh, an a marketplace of identity so I can measure. You know, what's the likelihood that this person uh, really is a person and really is the, the only identity of that person um, with ways that, you know, if you at least put that part on the public side so that I can challenge that or, uh, you know, you can have groups that would be equivalent to insurance examiners that would go after potential fraud because there's, there's money there, right? That's, that's the big solution because then all of a sudden I can now go anywhere and actually show an identity with some level of, you know, uh, multi-key signing, you know, a bunch of other things that can be behind it. Um, that's the real value. Have you guys seen voting countries applying that successfully for voting, or is it more kind of a dream? 
not yet, yeah. yeah. Well, Joe and uh, Christy Lee, it will be great to get your uh, perspective on what would it take today to build a successful digital identity company as a developer? What are what are the technologies or the blockchain or chains you're going to start it on? And, and any general advice? <laughs> yep. Yep. It's going to be Dragon Chain. First. <laughs> but, but beyond that, no, it's, well, it's like it's, it does, I mean, something similar, whatever, I don't care, but uh, that it gives you the ability to protect what you need to protect for the user to hold their own data, to do what they need to do, to uh, interchain with, you know, if, if you want to decentralize the storage and, and use something that uh, we don't provide, that type of thing. But uh, probably the biggest and most important thing will obviously be the user experience because that's what crypto has so far failed in, but that's, you know, it's still early. I mean, Linux itself, I think, is a superior product to the other OSs, and they've never really mastered the UX, right? But still, this year is the year of Linux desktop. Yes, yes, yes right. I have a t-shirt, right? Um, so, so one way or another, though, um, it, that's the biggest piece. And, uh, you know, we have some people working on that. We have some good ideas. Um, you know, more than anything, you just, you know, you take a few, few steps forward um, and you kind of step away from just the tech to tech sales where, okay, I'm going to sell it to all the crypto people. Here's a hardware wallet, right? It needs to be something that you can hand to your grandma and, and she can actually use it and have comfort in using it, knowing, knowing, and, you know, that's the other thing, you knowing that she's not going to screw up and lose the keys or, you know, uh, you know, lose the farm, right? I mean, I'd really echo that, that you have to invest in the product first. Product is everything right now for adoption of any kind of blockchain technology. Um, if I was going to give advice to a startup that wants to tackle this, uh, your first thing you need to do is invest in a ton of cryptographers, or if you can't invest, you know, start making friends with them. You want to make sure that you have as many eyes on your chain or on your solution as possible. Uh, my head of product actually taught me something very valuable. He said, you only get one chance to lose a customer's trust. And that's really true. It only takes one hack to destroy everything. So you want to ensure that you know your solution is the most secure. Start looking um, to a lot of the uh, projects that have already tried this. Start looking around zero-knowledge uh, ZK Starks. I'm a big believer in them. I do believe that you know the ability to prove a statement is valid and just relying on that statement itself with no extra information is amazing. That opens up the doors to so many different solutions. Um, start thinking about how you're going to store your files. You can't always do it always on chain. Um, invest in learning about some of the new decentralized file storage solutions like IPFS, like SIA, like Filecoin, etc. Start thinking about sidechain technology as well. Evaluate it, study it. And start doing your own analysis of, do you want to trust a public blockchain or do you want to trust a private blockchain? Both have pros and cons. Um, and be prepared to do a lot of work. This, this is a solution that pretty much every three-letter agency in, in the US government is looking at now. Be prepared for some really tough competition and see where you can differentiate. And always remember, you, you can't exist solely in the digital world. You have to tie your digital identity to a physical, uh, physical token or something you know, that you can hold in your hand, that you can pass around. You need, those, you need to pair those two together. It's quite important, actually.
that's that's very helpful. And and you know, I want to also ask you the flip question of uh, digital identity. So, in what cases do you think, or have you seen that it it is not a solution? And may, maybe we'll start with you, Jen. Um, well, I would say in um, at least countries the size of ours, um, there are. Um, there are some things that are just not going away. I mean, in a truly SSI world, right, there would be no government-issued IDs. But let's be real, that's not, social security numbers are not going away. Um, and that's more of a philosophical, social, and you know, societal uh, problem. And it, it's a hard problem that can't, re can't always be solved technologically. Um, but we're seeing, like you said, in Estonia and other countries, we're seeing some progress there. But I think that's one of the biggest issues, at least in our country. I mean, a big part of this is blockchain cannot solve the corruption problem. This is why it doesn't inherently work for voting. Whoever's entering the data into the blockchain can still be corrupt. You know, it's, it's a garbage in, garbage out problem. Databases suffer from this as well. Um, so that is the one, uh, one problem right now. You still have to rely that the entry when you first create your chain is, is valid and true. And you need to have multiple pairs of eyes proving that. Um, so a great example is when Georgia launched their uh, experiment, you know, moving all of their real estate assets onto the blockchain, they had a lot of uh, invalid entries. And that cost them a lot of time to go and fix, especially since they did it on a Bitcoin chain that was secured by Bitfury. So obviously it took a lot of, uh, a lot of partnership and work to reverse that. So blockchain's not a good fit if you're in a really, really corrupt environment, um, especially when you, you know, ultimately have to rely on a corrupt government. Great. I, I, I would say uh, that it should be usable everywhere that it has a legitimate reason to have an identification, even in IoT and you know devices. Um, but where the place where I would see it not being valuable is you know the the life log, you know the Facebook um, side of things, right? Where do I trust them building something with my identity, right? I mean they're Facebook using no. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. The answer is always no. <laughs> Facebook, no. Well, well, and then, you know, something that Christy mentioned is um, what about putting stuff on the public blockchain? How secure is the public blockchain today? And, and then, you know, five years from now when we have so much more computing power and, you know, those, a lot of those cryptography things can be deciphered. How should we think about it, switching to security a little bit? That's a very loaded question. <laughs> so so there, there are a few ways to think about this. Um, the issue with public blockchains, I think, is, is less that security problem than the bootstrapping problem, right? So within uh, closed managed ecosystems, managed environments with permissioned or uh, private blockchains, there is a top-down edict that says you must use this identity within this ecosystem, within, within this environment. And so that solves the bootstrapping problem. If you're trying to create a self-sovereign identity or something like it on an open public blockchain, the question is how do I use this service that I have on this open public blockchain um, with my friend, with you know the local grocery store, whatever. You, you can't, in large part because there is lack of trust at the corporate level for having open and transparent transactions on, on chain. So um, the way that I look at this is less 
um, about whether public chains are the right solution in the short term, but what infrastructure we need to build out over the next several years. So at the point at which we have infrastructure of all these interconnected ecosystems that are using some version of self-sovereign identity, but uh, being in a private or a permissioned environment, then we will have enough infrastructure that those who want to start interacting with the public chain will be able to do so. So there's a, there's a, a, a several year build out thing that we need to do here where we would need to be able to solve the bootstrap problem by building out minimum viable ecosystems throughout the, the country and the world where they can eventually interoperate on a public chain. But it's going to be a while until we get there. Oh, and then, you know, that leads me to another question. Uh, the earlier panel was talking about the regulatory environment and then the, the enterprises. Uh, they're 95% of the Fortune 1000s. I read somewhere, I think it was Deloitte study, uh, is now having a blockchain project or some kind of work that they're doing on blockchain. So then how should we think about, um, how do you guys think about public versus private? And you know, based on what you said, uh, Joshua, are we moving towards, you know, if you want to do something secure, then you're going to have to be private? Well, I mean, you know, um, I think, I think over the being involved in the last year and a half, a couple of years within self-sovereign identity, we've gotten kind of slapped with a hardcore dose of reality here. Um, you know, DApps are not going to get us where we need to. Um, if in fact DApps were being used by the hundred, even hundreds of thousands now, and and uh, people were using them to interact peer to peer in another context, then I think that a public chain would be something that would be um, within range. But that is not happening yet, um, and. Uh, as you say, like there are 95% of you know Fortune whatever are engaged in some sort of blockchain project, but um, it's very hard to find some that say yes, we're going to production with the blockchain project, right? So you can't build a business model around POCs, but that's really what's on offer 95% of the time um, of these 95 percent of the companies that are working on blockchain products. So the real the real question is how do you how how do you build a market? What's the market maker for a solution like self-sovereign identity or or some version of it on the sliding scale of self-sovereign identity? Um, and where does that where does that fit? And so that's the big challenge I think in the short term is finding organizations that want to use identity within existing use case contexts, whether it's you know, decomposing a value chain into a supply chain and then trying to get all the participants to join and use identity as part of that to build out the infrastructure. But um, it's a real challenge to uh, to try to get something going on a public blockchain now just because the bootstrapping problem is is kind of the dominant issue. Anyone want to add anything? I, I think it's a structural question because if you have something that needs to be private, it probably should need to be private and not worry about whether you're sharding or you know, the, the, and it's probably a counter to a, a, a cryptologist, but that you can't trust those things long-term, whereas structurally, if I never put something out there, it doesn't ever matter if the, if the tech fails, right? So, but you would want to leverage the public for the, for, the, uh, for the security itself, right? For the hash power, for, you know, so you can selectively expose what you want to expose. That's the real answer. It's about your point of failures. I mean, at least with a one of the advantages of a public blo blockchain is you have these multiple um, multiple nodes, and you have no one single point of fa uh, failure. When you have a private blockchain, really all you have to do is um, attack the company that's hosting it. That's that's all it will take, and that's a massive attack vector. I mean, the uh, the very first thing that you would do if you want to go and um, attack a private 
private blockchain is just go social engineer. It's the easiest way to get in. You can't really social engineer a proof of uh, a public permissionless blockchain. It's uh, quite difficult. I mean, it's possible. Bugs are always possible. Hacks are always possible. But the um, attack service surface is much, much larger. I, I think it's a very um, a similar analogy to DNS hacks and similar SSL hacks. Um, should, should we move forward? Yes, let's open it up for questions. Yeah, we have time for one question. Who one has a, question. a good question that they can ask in like 20 to 30 seconds? Uh, Mitchell from CryptoSlate here. Does a reliable ID solution need to necessarily be decentralized? And if so, why? No, it doesn't need to be decentralized. Um, it's very dependent on the use case. Uh, decentralization has benefits for, I mean, the distributed OPEX. That's one benefit. Um, some people will debate, you know, whether it's more secure, whether it's less secure. But it's all about the use case, the product, and the target audience. Anyone else? No answer? Okay, maybe we have... Well, oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say briefly, so in this country there is no driving necessity, but if you're in the EU and you need to solve GDPR, then there's a use case that is driving that kind of requirement. So in that case, yes. In many other cases, no. It depends what, you know, what, as you say, what your vectors of value are and what you care about and what you're trying to implement. Awesome. Now a question to the audience. Is there a question that either any of you want to pose to the audience that they can discuss and think about? I, I think the one that I have is um, a lot of us got into this industry in some sort of uh, kind of pure belief of the of the glory that blockchain was going to bring us in terms of our own self sovereignty. And so I think the thing that I would I would ask everyone is what does some version of self sovereign identity mean to you? How much is necessary for it to be valuable? And how well, what does that sliding scale look like for you in the different areas of your life? Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. We appreciate your support as we continue our mission to connect the broader business and technology community with blockchain innovators. For the most up-to-date information on all things TF Blockchain, please visit tfblock.io. Please like and subscribe to our podcast to be the first to hear from our amazing speakers changing the world through blockchain and crypto. If you're interested in partnering with the TF Blockchain Podcast, please email us at podcast at tfblock.io. Be on the lookout for TF Blockchain chapters coming to your city, and please reach out to us if interested in becoming a chapter director. We hope to see you soon at one of our live events. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay crypto, my friends. The views and opinions expressed at TF Blockchain events and podcasts are solely those of the ones presenting and do not necessarily reflect the position or opinion of TF Blockchain. TF Blockchain is not responsible for the opinions or content of its guests and does not endorse any particular company or currency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to make investment decisions.